The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jotham Busfield. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, John Kuna. Today, we will be discussing Dak Prescott and recovery, specifically recovery from injury. There's a lot of other athletes we could have done uh, on this specific subject. Mm -hmm. I would say Alex Smith, especially. Yeah. Uh, I recently watched that uh, the, the documentary about his recovery process, Insanity. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we'll, get, we'll cover that at some point. I think the main reason why we wanted to cover... Dak Prescott is because it overlapped a lot of different things. It overlapped like an active recovery he's going through right now physically. It overlapped more of a mental recovery process that he's already gone through, which we'll get to. It overlapped uh, pandemic, the effect of the pandemic, depression, anxiety, and ultimately him speaking out about mental health. Like we try to feature athletes that have been vocal, the importance of stigma, and he's definitely done that. And so I think that's one one to focus on him. John, what was your uh, you know any takeaways about about Dak Prescott before? this episode like what do you know about him before we did the research uh talented qb um I'll, I'll speak more about my my main um my main takeaway but he sort of has always been the one that's taken over a job yeah right? like he's yeah. Always, he was the backup in college backup yep. in in pros yeah um so you always that was kind of like a story that they highlighted you know especially at the nfl level yeah. like, oh, here we go again so that was one thing that i kind of knew about him a little bit but clearly extremely talented hardworking. Um, people consistently around him talk about his dedication to the sport, how mm -hmm. hard he works and pieces like that. Again, yeah. something that I'm, is another one of my takeaways that I'll talk about. Um, but that was pretty much the extent of what I, who, you know, who I knew. I did, I, I, I've spent this before. I'm not a big, uh, college football guy into that more. Um, but so I didn't really know too much about mm -hmm. him other than what they had talked about when he reached the NFL, the guy's, you know, job from injury from before. And then Tony Romo with the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a huge college football fan either. I think once they switched the conferences around and they yeah. made no sense geographically, <laughs> I, it just lost me. I was out yeah. after that point. But yeah, I didn't know much about Dak Prescott before he got to the NFL. Once he was in the NFL and he's a quarterback, you know, he takes over for Tony Romo as quarterback of the Cowboys. You kind of, you know, at that point, you definitely know who he is. It's hard, hard to miss um, mm -hmm. with the Cowboys as a team in general, if you be the Cowboys is. So, um, but other than that, I didn't know much about him. I definitely heard a little bit more as the going on. I heard him speak out and we, you and I had conversations about that. So that was really cool to see and obviously why we wanted to feature him today. So quick bio, his, his full name is Rain Dakota Prescott, which I did not know. Me That's kind of an awesome name. Um, he's an American football quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. He played college football for Mississippi State and was selected by the Cowboys in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL Draft. A few random facts about Dak Prescott. Uh, he has a career passer rating of 97.3, which ranks fourth all time. I did not know that. Kind of surprising. He got the starting spot, as you mentioned, John, in college and the pros when, when the starter ahead of him got injured and he stepped in. So clearly someone who makes the most of his opportunities and mm -hmm. knows how to you know stay laser focused and, and not let that opportunity slip away, which is a cool trait to have that, you know. Um, he started the Faith Fight Finish Foundation, uh, and that was established in his mother's honor. 
which helps people deal with adversity. His mother died of colon cancer in 2013. His brother, Jace, who was an offensive lineman at Northwestern State, uh, committed suicide, unfortunately, in April of 2020. Uh, we just wanted to add that anyone struggling with thoughts of suicide can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Uh, our next episode is going to delve into that a little bit more where we discuss Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely, you know, his brother, Jace, uh, suicide was very impactful. Um, so that the link to that charity, faithfightfinish.org, is in our show notes as well. So we'll get right into the, you know, the, the takeaways we have about this particular player, about Dak Prescott and recovery. You know, I think recovery can be physical and it can be mental. Uh, maybe it's all together. I think we know that, right? That, mm-hmm. that uh, you can't really separate the two. And so you might be recovering from a physical injury, but there's a mental aspect to that. Uh, and you might be recovering from a, a sort of a more of a mental health or emotional kind of injury. And there's a physical aspect to that. It's all yeah. kind of tied together, right? So I'll start with you, John. What are some of your key takeaways about Dak Prescott? And his- My first one was, you know, we, we talked about it sort of as breaking him down, but, uh, you know, he he has a quote, um, I forget which article it was that I was reading, but, you know, I've been able to play every level of my career because the guy in front of me got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so now him being in the position where he's injured, again, I'm speculating, but it's hard. I would imagine it would be hard not for him to have thoughts of like, I'm going to lose my job. Um, has He's been that guy for two people, you know, before him. And now he's the injured person yeah. and having to go through some of those those things. It's a role reversal. Right? Big time. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it, it would be hard for him, again, speculating here, but it, I, I feel like it would be hard for him not to see the comparison um, and not to see that, wow, now I'm the injured person and a lot of fear, doubt, self-judgment, uh, and maybe like rushing through treatment to get back to the field because he's worried about, you know, there's a lot of things that contribute. And, and I, I would imagine, again, speculating um, that are going on for him. Um because of now he's like you said he's now in the other role that he's accustomed to his job over yeah and even says you know that that role reversal is uh different and tough you know so you clear you know that's the most you're going to get from an athlete (laughs) who's going to like admit that they're struggling a little bit in in the moment with those kinds of things um they're not going to write out and disclose that they're they're having a tough time Mm -hmm. you know uh with self-doubt or that kind of thing because i think part of overcoming self-doubt is really motivating yourself and and convincing yourself that i all right i want to focus on the things that are in my control i want to focus on making the strides i want to make um you know, so that's definitely you can tell that's something that's got to be on his mind at some point. He, clearly, he's a, a mentally tough individual, so I think I'm sure he'll overcome that. Um, but it would be it'd be strange if that didn't hit home for him. As mm-hmm. He has always been the person that's kind of come in, stepped into the injury, and never looked back. Now he's in that opposite position. Um, I think it's human nature to be like, well, think about karma. Think about what am I going to mm-hmm. be able to do the same, or someone's going to take my spot, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so if it makes him feel any better, I mean, if he looked at the QB situation for his team this year, I'm, <laughs> I think he's all maybe set. he feels more, more confident. I like yeah. Andy Dalton as a person, but yeah. uh, I don't know if he's going to be stepping in to not, take the, the reins anytime not, soon. Not sure. Um, so that's definitely, yeah, that was definitely a takeaway from the injury recovery update kind of timeline side of things for mm-hmm. sure. I think one thing that stood out to me, it's just the family loss. I mean, we, we're going to talk about injury recovery a lot. That's our focus uh, of today's episode, but you know, clearly he has different elements of what he's gone through and there's more of a, uh, you know, mental, emotional injury that he's had to multiple that he's had to go through. I mean, his mom, Peggy Prescott, had colon cancer and died uh, on November 3rd, 2013. He has a tattoo that uh, has the acronym MOM, stands for Mind Over Matter. That was something that taught him, uh, which was really cool to see. But, you know, losing your mom um, at a very young age, that Mm -hmm. that is a really tough thing to go through. And then, you know, I think it sounds like that was 
pretty hard on him, but especially hard on his brother, Jace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then his brother, Jace, who was there at her side uh, for most of this process, and it, it took a toll. You know, he, he commits suicide in 2020. And yeah, I wonder, I don't, again, we don't want to speculate. I wonder if he had some possible traumatic kind of uh, mm-hmm. symptoms from that, just because, it, it, you know, Dak talks about it in one interview, and he, he talks about how Jace was at her side where, you know, she was really struggling with this, uh, the, the physical aspects of cancer and yeah. was, you know, throwing up for 10 hours a day at times. And that is hard. Obviously, it's hard for her. Yeah. It's also hard for the family member that's there being the caretaker to witness that Witnessing and be around it, yeah. that. That takes a real toll on, on people. And, um, you know, Dak says that his brother Jace didn't know how to be vulnerable. How, you know, we've heard that so many times with, with guys that um, they don't know how or they don't want to allow themselves to be taught that they can't mm-hmm. um, or they don't know what it means or how to deal with it because it's like uncharted territory right. or both, likely both. Um, so we hear that a lot. And, you know, even hearing the oldest brother, Tad, is clearly riddled with guilt for what happened to his brother and mean that, that kind him. of stuff. Yep. Yeah, you see how, you know, losing a family member has this ripple effect through the family survive. And what it does to them. So that was that was definitely a takeaway is that he, he's had a lot of loss in his family. I mean, losing your mother to cancer and then your brother to suicide, um, 25, 26 yet. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that is a lot to go through, you know? Yeah. And I think that I think that sort of speaks to um, sort of the next my next point about it was, um, you know, clearly there's a lot of these things that went that went on for him and, and did that. And, you know, he took a, a, an open stance and sort of shared with how he was struggling and he was sort of, you know, struggling with depression, after, especially after, you know, when his brother, when his brother committed suicide and, mm-hmm. um, and then the response that he got in the, you know, the public sphere was pretty brutal yeah. specifically. I believe it was Skip Bayless yeah. who has shock, since, shocker, shocker, but, yeah. right. Who, who has since given a half hearted in my, in uh, my opinion, was, sort of re- retract. It yeah. was, it was, yeah. What's the word? Cringeworthy yeah. to watch him try to backtrack when you clearly knew he didn't really mean it at all. No, yeah. Um, but I think that that was, and I think it's sort of a a good and bad thing is, um, in the sense it was a good thing because the response against Skip Bayless for his comments was, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who were very upset about what he said, and which is what prompted him to, you know, retract. But basically public relations standpoint mm-hmm. rather than him actually feeling guilty for what yeah. he said well because fox sports came out and said like we do not agree with that yes Which, again kind of like we talked about in the last episode yeah. is a great sign on some level because the organization is like hey no you can't do this yeah, you cannot that's that is not something you can say which is not that wouldn't have happened oh, so right i think that's part of the positive right yes and i think you know the negative is that here we have another example of a person who happens to be an athlete talking about what they're going through and struggling and potentially being able to help thousands of other people who might be going through something similar being met with shut up and play football. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've, we've gone into the, the, you know, the connotations with that type of a mentality before. Um, but you know, so that, that's definitely the negative side. I'm happy that it's the, the response of it was, you know, pretty like, like you said, Fox sports was like, we don't agree with this, mm-hmm. you, you know, and then he, he did say something too. And it, and it led to Dak making with Hayden Hurst, who we're going to talk about um, on suicide um, in a previous, in one of our next shows. Mm-hmm. But that was just sort of, like I said, kind of a good and bad moment. And sort of, I think that's kind of where we're at right now with mental health and players being outspoken is we're still sort of like at this, I think we're definitely more on the tipping side and like on the, the crest of the wave, but we're still sort of being held back by, people who have this old school style of thinking and this like hyper masculine type of thinking, or some people call it toxic masculinity mm-hmm. of like, you know, Oh, just, just play football, tough it up. You're a football player, right? Don't talk about this stuff. Um, 
And it's just it's it's, it's an incredible detriment to people who might want to talk about it. Seeing an example of well, I look up to Dak Prescott. He's a hero of mine. He tried to talk about his depression and his struggles through. Obviously, his brother committed suicide. There, that would be hard for anybody. Being met with someone putting him down for it, and mm-hmm. then that person watching that event being like, "Well, then I, there's no way I can do that." Or a young person who lost their parent to cancer, right? Uh, you know, and sees him struggling through this, and then Skip Bayless say, "Like, no, you can't do that." I mean, right. that I, I totally agree with you because it's like, you know, Dak Prescott speaking out about this stuff is then you have someone like you know Skip Bayless who comes in and and says the opposite. It's like for every athlete that, that like Dak, Dak Prescott who speaks out about it in a positive way and allows that to be okay. You got a guy like you know Skip Bayless who's just going to completely reverse that or to mm-hmm. attempt to. Uh, we don't we don't need more of that. We need more Dak Prescotts. We need less Skip Bayless's saying garbage like that. I think yeah. it is good that the the Fox Sports Sports Network kind of really came out against Skip Bayless the way they did because at least that I think limited the damage because otherwise you know a guy like Skip Bayless saying that is also being heard by a ton of people yeah. and can totally work against everything we're trying to kind of the stigma we're trying to remove here. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you hear guys like that say that stuff and it just keeps people stuck mm-hmm. in the old way of thinking instead of realizing that's not the way to go. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you on that. He, Bayless even said, you know, I looked at the, uh, the clip of him when he had that, uh, that particular show where he says this kind of thing. And, um, you know, he says that you have to be, you're, you know, the quarterback of America's team. You have to be the CEO. I think like the the alignment with you know <laughs> with being tough and being male yeah. and being a CEO is such crap. It's such garbage because if, there's been a lot of research that that CEOs actually ha- happen to be typically are are the the lowest in emotional intelligence and often terrible at leading people. Mm-hmm. Right now we can have a whole other episode about why that is. I have my own uh, sort of you know tidbits about why I th- what I think causes that effect. Um, but CEOs are are on average not great leaders, not emotionally intelligent people. It doesn't mean all of them. But on average, they actually rank lower in emotional intelligence than mm-hmm. other people who um, chain at a company or things like that. So, you know, he wants, he simultaneously wants Dak Prescott to be this great leader and is comparing him to a position that notably linked to bad leadership, bad leadership right? yeah. and, and low emotional intelligence. So yeah. um, and I think Prescott really came out and, and made a good point where he, he said, um, you know, vulnerable does not equal weak. And, that you know, he basically dismissed the premise that a leader must always appear tough. And he said, quote, I think that is a fake leader. You know, being a leader is about being genuine and being real. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't right? agree. Um, yeah. It's not about just pretending you're tough at all times. Like that, that is fake. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have a real genuine person who I know where they stand on things and I know what's really going on than someone that just pretends and fakes their way through. And that's not really what, that, that's not going to help people. No. It might get you through short term, but it's really going to backfire long term. No, I'd argue that actually toughness would be vulnerable, right? Like, oh, it, yeah, it's, that too. it's yeah. way tougher to be vulnerable and open up and be authentic about something yeah. you're struggling with than to like put on a fake face. That That's not yep. tough. That that in itself is weak and counterproductive. Well, we, so we've talked about this, uh, how it's like two types of toughness. Right, I, right. I think like it's it's not as doesn't require as much strength in my opinion and definitely isn't as intelligent as right. the allowing yourself to deal with it. Yeah. But the people that, you know, hold it in, the guys that hold it in, that does require a certain type of strength. strength. Yeah. Um, it's just not a strength that's helpful and, right. and it's not intelligent. It doesn't right. get you where you want to get. And it's certainly not going to help the people you're leading get where you want them to get. Right. right. Um, so I agree with you on that. That was a, that was a huge point. You know, he says along those lines, before I can lead, I have to make sure my mind is right and in the right place to do that and lead people to where they want to be. And I think that's important to be vulnerable, to be genuine, and to be transparent. I think that goes a long way when you're a leader and your voice is being heard. 
by so many and you can inspire. I think that, you know, clearly he's prioritizing mental fitness over everything else. He even says that mental mental health leads to the health of everything else. I love that because it kind of like flips the script. He's, you know, moving it from an afterthought or something in the back mm-hmm. to the forefront. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you got to you got to make sure that that is the first thing you take care of or else everything else is being impacted by it. Yeah, that was one of my that was sort of my second takeaway. I don't know if he's receiving any type of like specific training for for this if he's working with somebody to help him with this, but I think he worked with a sports uh sports psychologist psych. at one point. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think it the, shows the Yankees, maybe the New yeah. York Yankees sports um, psychologist. Yeah, it, it it shows. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, how he talks about things and um, you know, he, well, I'm going to talk about some ways that you can like, when you're going through recovery, some, some tips and some strategies of doing that, but he sort of like checks most of those boxes. Yeah, He's like yeah. a poster child for like how to, how to approach recovery from the mental health aspect in an appropriate way. Right. Yep. Like he stays connected to his team. I think, you know, we'll, we'll speak more about this, um, at the end, but isolation is really big when you're going through, yeah. um, physical rehab, like you're just in the PT's office, your teammates are over here doing something different. Um, you're missing out a lot of those things. And I think, he, you know, he shows up to practices, he's on the sidelines, he's communicating with his receivers, he's doing all these different things. Um, that's, a he's huge, trying to stay connected, he's trying to regardless. stay connected. And right. that actually even relates to, you know, how he was kind of dealing with his own anxiety and depression before his brother's death, because, the pandemic clearly compounded that, you yeah. know, that um, that he says he's a people person and being isolated at home during COVID was really tough, right? Yeah. It started with anxiety, which led to depression. We've talked about that, like two sides of the same coin, anxiety yep. and depression. So clearly he, he's already experienced what isolation can do to him and he thrives in more of a social environment. Like you mentioned, that's a really key thing in his recovery is like, st- how do you stay connected? How do you stay around the team? How do you not feel isolated from all the stuff you're used to, things mm-hmm. like that, right? Yep. I agree. And I think, you know, to be to really be a leader, I think this is the one key point that he really makes. To really be a leader, whether that's on a team, as a coach, as a parent, you have to take care of number one. That's not selfish, right? You have to make sure you're in a good place. We see people make this mistake all the time, all the time. where, you know, it's all, first of all, it's always, it's de- it's sort of self-deception. It's always easier to help someone else than it is to help yourself. All right. We know that all too well. <laughs> okay. It's, it's much, it is much easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's much, it's much easier to help another person than it is to look in the mirror and figure out how to help yourself and get better. Yeah. And I think we see people kind of delude themselves all the time on that. And most of the time it's well, it's well-intentioned. It's like, I want to be the best mother or father I can be. Right. I want to put my, that means put my kid first. And it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, it largely doesn't. Like, you can't be the best parent if you're not taking care of your own needs. You just can't. If you mm-hmm. let your own needs go for too long, or even in a marriage or in a, you know, in a couple, if you let your as a couple go and you're always putting your kids first, you're not going to be able to be forced. Or if your mental health disintegrates, right. that's not going to help you. And I think it's the same for being a, a leader on a team or a place or even amongst friends. Like, you got to take care of yourself and get yourself in a good and then you can help others. That's not selfishness, it's no. self care. It's about putting your need in a place where you re- recognize that if you're not doing well, you're not you're not going to be able to help everyone. So now no. you're not doing well, and no one else is either. Right. Um. I think sometimes people reverse that. Yeah, and I think you're when you take care of yourself. I think that's one of the things we hear selfishness used a lot. And sure, maybe it's selfish, but it's 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 what you need to do. Yeah. And also too, if you're if you're an elite, if you're a parent, or if you're a leader on a team, or wherever, you're also promoting you know, and self-modeling behavior that you want to pass on to everybody else, that the idea of taking care of myself is valid and valuable. I mean, I think that there's that there's a huge amount of benefit for that of a of a kid seeing their dad take care of himself so that he can do a great job taking care of it or to yeah. see, you know, their captain of their sports team might be injured doing all the right things to get them back to play 
there is because then if they're ever in that position, they're going to know what the what the outline is to get to 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 be getting better. And I, I I think that that's it's it's so crucial. And I hear that all the time too. Of like, you know, it's it's funny coming from therapists whose job it is to help other people yeah. and like all those types of things. But um, I hear that all the time of people who come in and they all they talk about is like trying to help other people. And I was like, well, what have you done recently for yourself? Right? How have you been able to also support yourself? Because you're here because there's something that's going on for you. And it's hard for them to then switch and talk about themselves. Yeah. And I hear that all the time. I'm like, well, it's, it's, you know, it's selfish. Like, I know I should be doing this, but I need to do this for them. And I was like, well, I wonder what would happen if you were able to take time to do this for yourself and then still able to do it. Would mm-hmm. it be more rewarding? And what message would you be giving the people, specifically your kids, yeah. if you were able to say like, you know what, right now I need to go take a 30 minute walk by myself with the dog, or I need to go do, you know, something for myself. And then I can come back and do that. Mm-hmm. What you're actually, your kids or, you know, your teammates that, the prioritizing yourself is huge and you cannot perform and do in, in any capacity if you're not right. Yeah. And I, and that message needs to come across more often and true leadership is that that's what people who people do that more frequently. Absolutely. And it, you know, sometimes it's, it's avoidance cause it is easier to help other people than yourself. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's guilt, you know, feeling bad about if you yeah. don't help someone else and you're a bad person, or you're selfish. Sometimes it's shame that a person doesn't feel like they deserve anything nice or deserve to be in a right. good place. Sometimes it's a combination of those things, but I think uh, that's definitely something where in order to be a good leader, in order to be a good parent, um, you have to take yourself and you're not uh, including yourself. So a um, couple other takeaways for me, you know, I think, you know, his impact as a leader too was really cool. Mm-hmm. I saw a video camp that I don't know if it was his camp or another camp, but he was like a speaker there. Um, and one thing he said, I mean, obviously he connected with a young kid named Alex, uh, whose mother also had colon cancer. And he sat down and he talked to him and he was vulnerable himself. And he talked about how sometimes he just sits there um, and cries and, and gets mm-hmm. it all out. I thought that was awesome just because he's, yeah. he's doing the exact thing we're talking about, about giving yeah. giving young kids uh, who look up to him a real leader, someone who leads by example and says it's okay to do this. And they're rewriting the whole men's playbook yeah. into something new. Um, I also thought it was cool that he he said he looks for their outlook and for their perspective, like from the campers. I thought that was cool because we, we often talk about like process over product, right? We're not mm-hmm. going by stats. We're not going by the outcomes. We're looking at what was your approach, right? And he says outlook and perspective. I think that's kind of what along the same yeah. lines, right? It's like what, you know, what was your outlook on what you were trying to do? What was your perspective on your approach to the game? That stuff is much more impactful, much overall trajectory as an athlete or in any kind Anything. of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool that he was using that in that uh, terminology. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um in terms of the injury and recovery process, you know, obviously he, so we talked about the mental kind of injury side of things that he's dealt with multiple losses in his family life and how uh, difficult that is coping with a pandemic on top of that and his connection, isolation, how that impacted him. Um, his physical injury more recently, October, 2020, I think it was mm-hmm. week two of the week two of the NFL season. I yeah. think it was. And he, um, he had a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle, you know, <sighs> brutal, brutal to brutal. watch on TV. Yeah. Um, but he says now, you know, in terms of his recovery process, it sounds like he's on track, um, although you never know. Sometimes I just say that because what's really going on. But he says, for me, it's about creating and making small victory that um, it really is taking the one day at a time kind of approach, mm-hmm. which is cliche, but it's, it's true. You cannot go uh, faster than a day. You got to go on that scale. And you right. even mentioned, John, earlier that like if he if he is letting that worry about role reversal and, and being the, you know, being the guy who could step in now it's going to cause you to speed up things too yep. much in recovery. And you're now you're thinking quicker than the scale of a day and you can't get into that habit because mm-hmm. that is going to set a person back. It's going to lead to making mistakes in your recovery and trying to rush it, getting re-injured or that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so him taking that, that one day at a time approach is really key. 
Um, also, you know, obviously his bond between uh, with, with him and Hayden Hurst was something that stood out. Hayden Hurst is someone that we're going to talk about the next episode, but after a game and uh, so that, so that was the week two. So yeah, so the, the injury happened, I think it was like week five or six, mm-hmm. but in week two, September 20th of 2020, Hurst actually, they, I think Dak played the uh, Falcons, Falcons yeah. and Hayden Hurst was on the Falcons and went up to him, uh, went up to Dak after the game to thank him for speaking out about mental health. And that it kind of reminded me of that of the Demar Derozan tweet because it was just like this this two sentence interaction mm-hmm. similar to how Demar Derozan tweeted like one song lyric line yeah but it was so impactful I think it spread around social media and people seeing one guy giving credit to another guy for speaking out about yeah. something and reestablishing reestablishing the men's playbook and say hey we don't have to do it the old way you know we can do it a new way mm-hmm. um, I thought that was great you know yeah. and obviously they they might collaborate on something moving forward yeah. hopefully yeah. Um, any other takeaways from for you, John, on the, the Dak Prescott in terms of his story side of things? No, you made a great point. And one of the things that it was, you know, I said you and clearly he has, but one of the things that I, you know, that stood out to me was the the small victories. That seemed to be like a sentence that he had, like that was sort of prevalent through all the the pieces that all the articles that we were reading. Yep. Which is such a great sort of self mantra for himself as a reminder for you know when those thoughts might come through or when that. You know, ultimately, the depressive thoughts or the you know defeated thoughts come up when you're going through recovery. You might have a bad day at PT mm-hmm. and feel like, uh, shit, like here we go again. It's going to take me forever, right? To have something to sort of refocus and reset that that style of thinking, I think, is so crucial. And we're going to talk about some of the strategies in just a second. But for him, small victories is a way for him to be like to focus on the process of getting back to playing football rather than just being like play football again because mm-hmm. to your point you know a lot of times with that with injured athletes you want to get out there and we're going to get into some of the challenges for probably why that's happening um but you want to get out there as quickly as possible yeah. and a lot of times with not great treatment um or with that type of mentality you get out there um you re-injure yourself you put yourself in a position you try to do things you're not capable of doing you stretch yourself too thin and you re-injure yourself and kind of go back to that same process and then that leads to issues mm-hmm. so the small victories thing was definitely something that i noticed uh, you know identifying yeah, throughout i was like yeah. that's something that i'm I, i'm curious if that was coached to him yep. of like here's some th- you know come up with a phrase or two or three words that you can say to yourself on those those down days of like focus on the things that are showing you that you are on the your process is working in the right and the direction. stuff you can control right yeah. exactly yeah so yeah that's that those are great points um so we're gonna we're gonna shift to the uh you know where the mental health spotlight i mean i think in in this case it's it's sort of recovery recovery from injury mm-hmm. um we're gonna shift to that a lot we're gonna change this the format of this particular one a little bit you know in the past we you know we kind of both talk about this i mean you're uh, john you created you know, the sports performance and recovery program at Riser and Tread. Yep. You have a lot of experience working with athletes and, and uh, on mindset and recovery from injury. And I think those are both very important things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they overlap, obviously. Yep. Um, so we're going to do more of a Q&A for this section where I kind of uh, ask you questions uh, that relate to this topic. And you give us, you know, and the listener more information about um, what you think on those questions in terms of how it relates to a person dealing with recovery from injury uh, and mindset as it relates to that. So I'm going to go through a little bit of data first. Um, the source on this data is from Johns Hopkins Medicine. Uh, an average annual estimate of 8.6 million sports and recreation-related injury episodes um, was reported by the CDC. Uh, in the U.S., about 30 million children and teens participate in some form of organized sports, and more than 3.5 million injuries happen each year, which cause some loss of time of participation. Uh, almost one-third of all injuries occurring in childhood are sports-related injuries. Mm-hmm. 
More than 775,000 children ages 14 and younger are treated in hospital emergency rooms for sports-related injuries each year. Uh, and for football, it was the highest, kind of not not shockingly. Yep. Almost 215,000 children uh, ages 5 to 14 were treated in ERs uh, for football-related injuries. The next highest was actually bicycling, which I found surprising, yeah. at 200,000. And then basketball um, was also surprising. It was at 170,000. So football definitely in the, in the lead on that one, but not as much as I would have thought. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. So for the for this section, again, we're going to do a bit of a, a Q&A. Uh, my first question, John, on this topic is, you know, what are the biggest challenges you see people face injury recovery? Yeah. I, first, I would I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation yeah. because this is still, you know, we've seen an increase in, you know, mental performance coaches for, for protein clinicians being associated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. However, it, this is still a huge hole. And when I talk to other professionals in the, in the, you know, in the sphere or working with professional teams or things like that, this is an area that they're, you know, they don't have much of an understanding with. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of this stuff because it's something that is, there's, you know, mental performance, mindset, stuff like that is definitely becoming more of a, like every team is like, okay, mm-hmm. this is like, obviously there's something to this. We need this now. How do you play better when you're right. on the field? Or exactly. The yeah. It's mostly just that base, okay. but this is something that every athlete probably can identify with of going through some sort of like injury or recovery. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge gap. So Absolutely. I'm really excited to kind of dive in. Um, you know, what you mentioned, what are the biggest challenges that I see? Uh, the, the number one thing that I see with athletes coming through is a loss of self. Okay. And that's the biggest, um, you know, for, you know, for most athletes, they would identify, you know, say, you know, give me, give me five things to describe yourself. Right. Number one, I'm an athlete, right? Uh, It's usually the top one that they, that they identify with. And if you're not an athlete, who are you? And that's one of the biggest, the biggest challenges while facing recovery is that they don't know who they are. And if they're not able to, you know, be on the field, be on the ice, you know, be on the court or whatever, there's no form of self-recognition or confidence, right? I think a lot of times with athletes, it's we've talked about this in previous episodes, but there it's output generating for confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Like I got a triple double, I feel great. Mm-hmm. I, I we lost a game, I feel terrible, right? So they judge themselves on that. But if you remove that altogether, there is zero opportunity for them to have play, and so that's a huge. Um, yeah, Kevin loves loss. an example of that for sure, and mm-hmm. I think this definitely happens with athletes at younger levels too. You All know, if time. you're like a uh, you know a, not even a star athlete, but just like a good athlete, a starter, or someone who really looks to that uh, sport as your main mode of, mm-hmm. of confidence or exercise, even that kind of thing, and now that's taken away. I can see how that would even happen to someone at a younger level where they're kind of lost and they're and it disappeared, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. And so you know, to to strengthen through just from that. Um, is sort of the I sort of sort of call them four pillars of strength or four pillars of self, mm-hmm. um, and performance is just a single piece. But yeah. oftentimes with athletes, they put the sole emphasis on just performance as like one pillar, as one pillar, holding right? up the entire holding house. up the entire yeah. thing yeah. Right? that just can't work. Yeah. Um, and so, and I'll, I'll speak about those in a bit. Um, but the other one that I really see too is one of the biggest challenges is the outlet. And for a lot of guys, sports is their outlet for their emotionals, everything. Yeah, right. And yeah. you know, if they're, you know, and, and, um, DeMarcus DeRozan spoke a lot about this, like when he was on the court, he was like, I didn't have to think about anything. I was just playing basketball and I felt my best self. And, and, and Michael Phelps, when I was in the pool, same thing. And then you take that away mm-hmm. and they don't have that anymore. And then they're forced to sort of s- stay inside their head. You know, a lot of PT offices, they're sitting there, you know, on a, on a slab and getting taped up or getting rehab. It's not the same thing. Um, you're not getting the same, 
the same endorphins, same chemical reactions. You're not, you know, physically able to do the things you used to be able to do. And states of depression are often, I, I kind of call it like sports induced depression. Yeah. Um, where you kind of have a lot of the same types of symptoms. You feel isolated, you feel lonely, you feel defeated, you yeah, feel really sad. You're forced to sit there and think about why you can't be doing while you're, while you're being treated for an injury. I mean, that's like kind of torture. In a Absolutely. Way. Yeah. Which is why this work is so helpful to yeah. be able to capture those thoughts and redirect them towards something that's a little mm-hmm. bit more forward focused yeah. and, and not just sitting ruminating in those terrible thoughts of self doubt. Um, and then the third one is the loss of connection, okay. um, and, and isolation. So like I said, you know, if you're going through injury, you're sitting in a room, your, your teammates, they are out on the, uh, out on the field, getting better practicing, you know, there's a lot of stuff that just happens on the field or happens in practices that's sort of like unifying and bonding and inside jokes mm-hmm. and all that type of like, you know, camaraderie happens yeah. through, throughout practices of like, oh my gosh, can you like, oh, you know, competition yeah, and all that yeah. different stuff happens on the field. Yeah. You're now ap- absent from that yep. and not able to be a part of that. And I think that that's a huge piece too. There's a lot of, you know, we call it FOMO, maybe that's dating myself, but you know, fear of missing out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you miss all of those little moments and then coming back to it, it's almost like you're a stranger coming yep. back. And yeah, the adjustment to coming back and feeling like you missed out on yep. this changing cultural dynamic and like they're more connected to each other than you are because you were gone that's that's definitely a huge piece absolutely yeah. and and as a leader even such right like yep. i missed all these things are they going to view me in the same yep. way do i have the same level of impact on them do i have to approach yeah. things there's a lot so of it's stuff a loss of confidence in, big in, time. in your playing ability but also in your status within the team right? yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, so my, my those are those are my three big yeah. ones that we look to kind of go. There's a loss of self. There's a loss of just a, an outlet for them for everything, and there's a loss of connection. Those are usually the three most popular okay. um, of the things that we really try to get into. Absolutely, yeah. So those are three great um, great points on that first question. Second question I have is, what are the biggest mistakes or missteps you see people make when dealing with injuries? Uh, the biggest one is they try to go too fast. Okay, that's that that's that's the biggest one. Um, that they try to return back to play too quickly. Um, and, you know, I'm not a physical therapist, um, but this is one thing that I that I know from having conversations with them that they there's like this angst, right? I got to get back out there. I got to go back out there. And they try to go too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, that's that's definitely like the, the biggest the biggest mistake. Um, there's a lot of blame that goes on, too. That's another mistake that I see. Like athletes will blame themselves for getting injured, which, you know, again, is a, a rational thought. Mm-hmm. If it's just, you know, especially in football, if it's a, you know, if it's a contact injury. It's not your fault, right? Yeah. Or if it's, you know, you pulled a hamstring, it's, well, I wasn't training correctly. I should have done this. I should have done that. You know, and they get stuck in the the shoulds rather than the what can I do nows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's, a, that's, that's one of the mistakes that I see that we look to like really try to recorrect of – yeah, you can you can get to a place of acceptance of the past, but what happened in the past doesn't dictate the now and the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, coming to an understanding of this happened, right? That you you are you got injured, and what are you going to do differently moving forward to instill that that doesn't happen? But more importantly, how are you when you return? Are you going to be yes physically fit, but are you going to be mentally prepared to be back in that environment? And that's a big that's a big piece that I just don't see athletes getting training on, which is why I'm so try to be so outspoken about the importance of this. And there's countless examples of people um, who've come back from physical injury who physically are totally capable to do the things that they were able to do, but you can tell how they play is apprehensive, is resistant, and um, 
you know, I, I think any basketball fan can remember the, the Gordon Hayward injury, that mm-hmm. nasty, nasty mm-hmm. ankle injury. Uh, it took him a long time to recover, came back. And when he came back as a fan, you could notice he wasn't as explosive to the net. He wasn't as... For a year and a half. For a year and a half. It was a long time. And, you know, again, speculating. But if he was clear to play, he's working with some of the top doctors probably in the world who are saying, like, physically, you're good to go. There's nothing that, you know, you're you're ready to rock and roll. But you could tell mentally he was... There was still barriers in his way to get there. And I think that's, again biggest mistake is that most people going through injuries they don't they don't see treatment to how do i recover my mind having gone through something you know we talked about trauma in our previous episode and you know to a certain extent a, a big injury is is a form of trauma absolutely and they don't yeah. they don't look to repair or, or treat that and it it obviously I'm, maybe I'm a little biased but it baffles me that athletes don't get the same level of support to repair the mind that they do to repair their body and they, to me, obviously, it's a perfect fit. You have to be doing these things simultaneously, and that's, I guess, that's the biggest mistake is that they everybody overlooks that. They don't, they don't talk about that. They just sort of like, okay, you got to do, you know, these exercises to strengthen the muscles yeah, back up and do rehab. that stuff and yeah. do these pieces, and then no one really discusses yeah. what what they need to be doing. You know, the, the the mental strength training that you should be doing to get your mind right to get back on or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I'd, I'd be I'd be really interested to learn more about the Celtics and, and whether they had someone working with him on yeah. that. I, I don't want, I would guess no, but I don't want to uh, speculate mm-hmm. um, because you're absolutely right. I think, you know, with, with any serious injury, especially an injury like Gordon Hayward's, yeah. it is Oof. absolutely traumatic. Yeah. And it's also a sense of loss. There's like a grieving process. And this yep. is what kind of stood out about the way you were talking about walking a player through this, that if they're stuck in that, right. Think about like a, a, a different type of loss, loss of a breakup in life, loss of a family member. If you don't know how to grieve it properly, you will be stuck with that. And yep. it's going to prevent you from moving forward. And you never necessarily get get over it, but you have to get past it. Mm-hmm. And I think when people don't know how to grieve appropriately, they are stuck in that. And you absolutely see that with injuries where people don't don't grieve it appropriately in the beginning and get to a place of acceptance, right? Yeah. When you're talking about grief and, and going through that type of process, the goal is to wrap your head around the conflicting emotions that are all happening in that in that short term, especially. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're making sense of it. You're understanding about it. You're getting it out of your system and learning about it so that you can get to a place where you've accepted what's happened. And you cannot move forward until you have done that. And so when you combine the the grief and the, and the loss that comes from that injury and yeah. the traumatic uh, nature of going through it when it first happens and in the immediate aftermath – that is a like a, a mental, you know what? I mean, it's just like oh, it gosh. is a, a huge trap um, yeah. where a lot of different difficult things can happen. And if they're not working with someone, this is where I especially think it's really key that anyone working with a sports team, a license, if you don't have the the straight up kind of therapy background, yeah, it's great that you know about sports psychology, but that isn't going to do this player anything if they don't if you don't know anything about grief or how to walk a, a person mm-hmm. through the handling that from a yeah. therapeutic perspective. Right. They need someone that has that both those. Th- um, you know, in their in their tool bag, so to speak, so yeah. that they can like help the player out, give them the support they need. Yeah, and mindset management doesn't really address those types of things, right? It's and and, and in some sense, it almost sort of like puts a band aid over a severed artery. That's what I was gonna say. Right. It, it, it rushes them through because right. you're just saying like, hey, shake it off, mindset. You're like, let's right. get focused. And it's like, no, like with with some things like this, it's not about refocusing on the task at no. hand. It's about really trying to give yourself some time to let this set in and like actually wrap your head around and understand it first. Right. Absolutely. And if you got, if you're coming, you know, from let's say an ACL injury and it's like a six month period, 
you've got a lot of downtime, right? You've got a lot of time to be sitting in those rooms by yourself or sitting in those treatment places. You might as well be simultaneously doing, you know, a lot of the things that we're going to, I'm going to get into yeah. in just a second um, to make sure, like I said, that you're, you're addressing these real issues, not putting a bandaid. You're actually doing like real like heavy duty surgery to, to prepare the mind to get back to where you need to get to. Absolutely. And I, I think I, I would say, I would guess you can tell me if you've ever seen this, but like one misstep that people might make with recovery from injury is that they abandon too many of their routines. I mean, I think you can, oh, yeah. there's some that you have, you can't have, especially sports related because mm-hmm. you have to be getting tropical routine, yep. but there's a lot of other routines you can still keep in place. And I think it's really important to keep as much normalcy as you can yep. to your everyday life. So you don't feel like a, such a stark contrast between what you lost and used to have mm-hmm. versus what you now have. Right. Um, so abandoning all routines, I think is probably a mistake. Do you see that a lot? I see it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll turn to, you know, and Julian Edelman actually is another example of, you know, he had other circumstances when he went through, um, you know, his performance enhancing stuff after his injury. So there was mm-hmm. another sort of layer to it. Yeah. But he talks about in one of his doc in his documentary about like he was just like sitting on a couch, eating a ton of food, not doing anything healthy, ruminating about how terrible things were for him. And, right. you know, unfortunately, I, I, I do see that with with athletes. I think you do a great point. If you can stick yourself in similar routines as where you were the better and your your practices yes. just become your treatment yep. like your physical like your rehab and everything else sort of tries to remain the same and why you know again why i think dak is such a great like role model and spokesperson for like how you should approach recovery is he was out there with you know at practice he was on crutches but he was you know he's talking to ezekiel elliott he's talking to all of his teammates he's sort of still having a presence he's be, he's staying in that like routine of being a part of the team mm-hmm. i think that that's something that's so crucial yeah so not only was he staying connected which means really trying to replicate his yeah. routines right which we just talked about replicating as much as you can maybe it's 70 percent, right. maybe it's 50 right, you can't get 100 but, right but it's better than nothing it's right. better than sitting in the trainer's room and being isolated from everybody so he's replicating his routines as much as he can and i think the other thing that came through about dak prescott which is so key is that he's competing with himself as part of treatment as yeah. part of recovery right i think that is anytime you can turn something into a challenge turn something into a game turn something into a competition not just with recovery, with anything in life, mm-hmm. you're immediately going to be more successful at it mm-hmm. because you're engaging yourself in something that's going to be so motivational. It's like if you, I mean, you can turn anything into a game yeah. and it instantly makes something that's boring, interesting, mm-hmm. or something that's hard to overcome, easier to overcome yep. because you're making it a challenge within yourself. And instead of dwelling on the negatives, you're now f- just geared up and ready to be like, how do I how do I beat myself from one day to the next? How do I get better each day? Yep. And de- it's, it certainly came through with Dak that that's kind of what he's doing. So he's yeah. taken his competitive his routine of being a competitor yep he's now shifting to the recovery thing which mm-hmm. again it's it's not the same it's not mm-hmm. as good as, as just being out in the field and being healthy no but he's basically replicating his life as a competitor which is a routine and mm-hmm. that's so he's losing less and less at risk to have a, a bad recovery process taking that competition element yep. into his recovery which Absolutely. I think is really cool yep um so i would imagine uh, recovery from injury is a process that has multiple stages to it John, if you could walk me through, like, what are the stages um, that a person goes through in recovery and, and what kind of, if there are stages and which, you know, what does each stage tend to involve? Yeah, you know, I think the, the you know, I spoke about, the, the, it sort of ties into the challenges, but, you know, I want to speak first about, uh, you know, the biggest challenge is sort of that loss of self. Um, yeah. And I think the, the first part of the stage is just an acceptance that it's happened. And that's a big one. You spoke about that in terms mm-hmm. of like, there is a, definitely a grieving and loss process that's yeah. going on and that's part of the, the that first step let's let's walk me through that w- walk me through tell me what's going on what are you what have you lost what are you feeling about that yeah. and let's work to kind of address that to get to a point of like 
I'm injured. Yeah. I can't do the things that I was able to do. And my reality is my, my rehab and my treatment. And that's, that's, a, that's sort of like that first stage. Um, and then as a, as sort of strategies and exercises of that is that we go through what I was talking about, those, those sort of four pillars of strength. Um, and we talk about performance, mentality, direction, and what I call confidence cultivation. And, you know, the first part is, you know, you've lost the performance. Right. And I, for most athletes, that's their sole sense of confidence mm -hmm. that, that they, that they derive most of their sense of self from is how well did I, what was my output, you know, for, for, for the season. And yeah. we've talked about this in previous episodes that I think that's a lot of, um, the way athletics are seen. And we certainly, we're going to have another episode um, talking about like data analytics and just like the humanistic side of sports and the, the sort of the where it's sort of coming to a head. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most athletes, that's how they're rated, right? And that's, you know, they go through the combine. What are your numbers? What are your stats? Yeah. What are your this? And then you lose the ability to, to contribute to that. Huge. Yeah. Um, and I think most athletes put the soul, their sole sense of self on that one pillar. But like mm -hmm. you said, if you've got a house built on stilts on one pillar and that goes away, the entire thing's going to crumble. Yeah. Um, and so we look to really address th the three other ones because the performance is more about your performance now is just your rehab, you know, and you kind of yeah. supplement it in and say, you know, yes, it's not going to be the same as it was before, but your performance now is what are your exercises that you've got to do like for physical training and pieces like that. That is now what your performance is. Mm -hmm. And I think Dak talks about that, like those small victories, that, that, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, the mentality is sort of the next piece. And this is more of like that mindset management. Um, but one of the things that we look to kind of come up with is talking about like a positive playlist or, um, you know, mantra management or, you know, mindset management, whatever you want to, however you want to call it, um, of coming up with sort of either phrases or affirmations that you can come up with to sort of remind yourself of, you know, the positivity or the ways in which you see the scenario. I think oftentimes when you are going through injury, it, you know, we've talked about this before, but you're four times more likely to think negatively about things. Mm -hmm. And you have to actively address that for someone that's going through recovery because, you know, if you're thinking about recovery and you're only thinking about it from a negative point of view, it's going to be really hard to go day to day, you know, every day going in and doing all those things. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the mentality of, you know, like I said, it's clear that he's worked with somebody like small victories or I can do this or yeah. let's go or finding little like reset phrases mm -hmm. to when you notice that you are in a negative headspace acknowledge that it's there, accept that it's there. Don't like try to ignore it, accept where it came from and then try to reframe it towards something more. Like, and not judge your yourself process, for it. And not judge yourself for it. That's, I think that's yeah, a big one. For sure. That's where like mindfulness meditation really Absolutely. teaches people to do that well. Those two things, not get, not latching on to a negative kind of thought pattern and then also not judging yourself for having that thought to begin with. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, so it sounds like you said grievance and acceptance um, is kind of the first part, mm -hmm. uh, grieving and acceptance. Four pillars with the second one mentality is sort of the third one and then was there another one yeah actually so the there's there's two more really the the, the mentality like you said it's, it's mindfulness breath training a way to kind of like capture thoughts yep. and reframe uh the next one is sort of direction okay um and that speaks goal setting and, and fear setting so really really kind of like harnessing in and talking about what do what does my process look like um and for goals I sort of a way I think when, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to athletes, the, the most common response is like, well, what are your goals for treatment? And I get that like blank stare, like they've never been asked that question before. That's probably the most common one. Um, and the next one that I get is um, a product or a thing or an idea yeah. or a stat. Like I want to, I want to get back and I want to 
throw 50 touchdown passes. An end result. An end result, right? Uh, A noun, if you will. Um, And the, you know, I break up goals into what I call the three P's, product, process, and purpose. Um, And we really spend the majority of our time talking about the process. Products are great. They're nice to have as like a starting place. But if you don't know how you're going to get there, you lose focus, you lose track. And they also, the that your product might change through your process. You mm-hmm. might see things differently. Your perspectives might shift and product become less relevant. But yeah. building strong patterns and habits and processes is much more yeah, important. Absolutely. And then the purpose is really there as sort of like a catch-all safety net. Um, why are you? Why is all this important to mm-hmm. you? Um, this is a harder conversation for a lot of people to do. Um, a lot of times we'll go through what I call purpose development, um, which is sort of like a, a little bit more of a structured approach of how to address and get to that question. You know, I think a lot of the, the knee jerk reactions are because I want to play or it's important to me or yeah. I like football or whatever. Um, and I really look to dive a little bit deeper, deeper because ultimately when you're going through the processes and especially in injury recovery, there's going to be bad days. Yeah. There's going to be days where you, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be a day where you were able to walk, you know, for Dak, there's a day you able to walk without crutches, come back the next day, expecting that to be the yep. same and you can't. Yeah. And so the purpose is really there as a way to kind of, okay, didn't go the way, but it's, this is why it's important to me and kind of help to generate that intrinsic motivation to keep going. Okay. Um, and I find that that's a much more supportive way to move people forward. Um, okay. And then, so all those things sort of generate into confidence cultivation. And that's, that's that last piece of where else besides your performance on the field or ice or wherever you are, where else do, can you derive confidence from for yourself? And this is much more of like a deep dive in of like who those people are. So identifying characteristics that aren't performance based, right? I'm, you know, I'm a good son. I'm a friend. Mm-hmm. I'm generous. I'm kind. Whatever those things might Other be. Other wins they have in their life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And being able to, and they're much more, they're a hundred percent controllable. They yeah. have, they have the, they have control to do those things. And then a lot of what I look to do is, okay, let's go activate those more frequently mm-hmm. because you can't do what brings you the most. Yeah. And this always makes up for it almost. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, three pillars is, is definitely better than one. You're missing the, the big strong one. Mm-hmm. But you've got to turn to those other pillars in time of need, and if you don't know what those are, how to cultivate and build those, you're gonna you're gonna crumble. And that's kind of what the recover that's kind of what the approach is when working with people through the recovery program. I think that's great, especially because you know you, you started with with grieving acceptance, so you're meeting them where they're at. I think mm-hmm. that is a huge mistake that most people either if, if they're not getting someone that's qualified to work with them on this, then they're not going to get that. But even right. focus on like you know sports psychology or the mindset are probably going to miss that. You're meeting them where they're at. Then you're identifying, hey, what are our other pillars aside from this one of the four that may be gone now? How do yep. I identify those? Then you're you're getting into mentality, which is great because what I think you're kind of doing is you're priming their mentality yeah. first before you get into direction and goal setting. And I think that's really key because if you don't do that first, it's going to influence, probably negatively influence mm-hmm. how they set goals or how they look at goals yep. and the goal setting process. So you're doing that fourth. And then you're getting into confidence cultivation, which is overall a great thing, but also identifying non-sports things that they can kind of bump up a little bit mm-hmm. to account for the loss that they're experiencing in sports. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about the mentality and like you said, priming the brand. I think that's perfect. That's the same language that I use. Yeah. And so I often ask athletes and, and to you know use the morning as a place to build in some more positive routine. So 
like affirmations work or deep breathing and breath training work in the mornings mm-hmm. to kind of prime your brain to seek those things out. Yeah. Or we've talked about the importance of gratitude. Same thing. Yep. If you're if you're priming your brain to think sort of positively and forward focusing and, and reminding yourself of what helped support you or what you're grateful for in the morning, you're far more likely to go seek that out. Um, you use doorway affirmations, which I've actually yep. been trying to do a little bit more yeah. often, which has been it's a cool exercise. Um, but if you can prime the brain in the morning to seek those things out, you're far more likely to, to find them. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's so huge, especially for someone who's going through recovery, who's just like, you get into that like groundhog day type mm-hmm. of thing, like day in, day out, kind of the same. Um, and to give them something to be looking forward to is, is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, the fourth question I have is for those listening who don't have a, a team of kind of rehab specialists working around the clock for their care. What do you suggest? Some of the stuff that we just were kind of talking about, I think definitely try to seek somebody out that might be able to support you um, who has, you know, an, an idea of recovery. I would really encourage you to try to stay connected to your team as best as possible. That's something that you have control to do. Show up to practices, be present. Um, you know, your teammates, you know, aren't going to judge you for being on the sideline and crutches or wherever, if you can be a part of that, definitely be a part of that. Mm -hmm. I think, like I said, I think the, the biggest one is to, um, you know, find other sources of confidence and other sources of things that you do have control over in that, Mm -hmm. you know, in that space while you're going through recovery. Um, because, the one you hear this day in and day out from all athletes, like their, their favorite place to be or their, their biggest joy, you know, supplier is when they're actively playing that sport and now you don't. So for anyone who's going through this stuff is find other places of joy and, and to kind of help supplement it. It's not going to be a hundred percent. It's going to be 80, 70, whatever it is, but find alternate ways to sort of, you know, instill joy through that Mm -hmm. day and remind yourself that you are not your performance. You are not your statistics and you are a person, not just an athlete. It's just a sense of who you are and try to cultivate and take the time. You know, one of the blessings is, is that you actually, if you can approach it in this way, you actually then are, you're given the opportunity to really do some self-reflection and really pull out from yourself like, wow, there's a lot more that I have to offer other than just throwing 50 touchdown passes in a seat. Yeah, it can season. be a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. If, if you, again, yeah. it speaks to the mentality, if you're able to see it that way. Um, it's hard. I, I've been an athlete going through recovery and I certainly didn't have support and that's part of the reason why I focus so much on this mm-hmm. is because I went through all of these stages. I denied the grief. I lashed out at teammates. I quit the team. I, you know, I responded in a really, really terrible, terrible yeah. way. Um, and that's what's promoted me to do these things. And I, you know, I, I guess my hope for, you know, talking about these things that other people will see the importance of, of why recovery, mental recovery from injury is so, is in my opinion, more important than the rehab that they're doing. Absolutely. And I think it, it's, it's not just athletes either as well. I mean, I think there's, you know, people who are missing work due to injury or, yep. or that kind of thing, they can go through this process Absolutely. as well, because that's just as impactful for them, even if they're not an athlete and mm-hmm. uh, missing a sport. So we're going to, uh, I appreciate those answers, John. This is great feedback for people dealing with injury and, and just understanding the mindset and reprocess when they're an athlete. Um, we're going to switch, switch it up here and go to the grim drive example. I mean, for me, you know, Alex Smith kind of stood out just because we, you know, I did watch his documentary as part of this process and, and we discussed why we chose to focus more on Dak, but what that guy had to go through um, and, and keep a level head and still be a husband and still be a father and, and still balance his life. I mean, he's almost like a, a naturally resilient person. It was yeah. pretty cool to see. Um, obviously, you know, had the grim drive to, uh, 
subject himself to multiple surgeries uh, and and come back and still play football, which is just absolutely amazing. So I thought that was pretty. Um, quick reminder to people uh, listening just to click subscribe to the podcast listening platform you're using and rate and review the podcast if possible. We really appreciate uh, any and all feedback. We're going to offer a pair of free Celtics tickets to a game uh, next season, so 2021 to 2022, or a, a non-Celtics game if someone is a fan of a different team. For one person out of all who write an honest review for us in the first three months of 2021, you can enter to win these tickets by taking a screenshot of your review and submitting that through the Contact Us option on the website, our website at grimdrive.com. It will ask you for your name and email address, and we'll also provide you with the option to upload the screenshot file. Just make sure you take that screenshot of the, of the review before you submit it. Uh, as always, all the helpful information and links that we described today can be accessed in the show notes and on our website at grimdrive.com. Thanks for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about Dak Prescott and recovery. We'll be back next week to talk about Hayden Hurst and suicide prevention. Thanks, everybody.